0: You put in the work every day, hours and hours, training, but think about how much more focused you'd be with a coach. Welcome to the what's up podcast what's up podcast where we'll explore all of your questions from climbing in the dolomites to winning your local cycling events this podcast is sponsored by kyle coaching a results-oriented data-driven coaching service for the working endurance athletes now your host head coach of kyle coaching this is chuck
1: kyle Well, obviously, this is not Chuck Kyle. Uh, Good morning, everyone. This is uh, Jim Weinstein, a dietitian, and for those of you that uh, listen to the first podcast, and you recognize me as the interviewee, the the nutrition expert subject matter expert for the talk that we had. That um, in that interview, Chuck had the pleasure of interviewing me, and uh, in a twist of fate, this time I get the opportunity to interview Chuck. And today we're going to talk about uh, some of the uh, the wisdom that uh, Chuck has to offer uh, from his many many years as a coach and being involved in the sport of cycling. So, Chuck, let's just get right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the path that got you to being a successful coach?
2: <laughs> That's kind of an interesting one. I uh, started off playing soccer in high school, some, some in college. Then, of course, having my military background, I've always had to do physical fitness. That I became a marathoner and then an ultra-distance runner, and I had people asking me, hey, What's it take to write a training plan? So I started doing that, and then about 1999, I fell in love with the bicycle. And my first uh, three weeks on a bike included the Tucson Classic, the Valente de Bisbee, and uh, the amateur stages of the uh, the race out in New Mexico. I can't remember the name of it. And after that, I started racing my bike and started helping others and then kind of parlayed that into actually starting to coach. And that's where we ended up today.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. So, so, it doesn't sound like there's a sport you haven't done, maybe, maybe high-ali. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it's, you've been coaching for quite some time now, um, and I think one of the, the neat interactions that, that you and I have had and many of the discussions we've had um, that I thought have, have just been really intellectually stimulating is, is the role that technology has played. So, for anyone who's been doing this for more than a few years, you remember the times before a power meter. And that's just one of the many technological changes that have have happened in the sport. I'm wondering, uh, you know, if you can maybe give a a few, you know, historical thoughts on on how technology in your mind has changed for coaches and how the technological tools that an athlete have now is just, it's like a brave new world compared to what was an athlete 20 years ago. And then maybe finish off, just tell us what your favorite technological tool is uh, as you're working with athletes.
2: No, that's a great one because as you started out and, and myself, I mean, it was always, we started out with heart rate and heart rate monitors were the craze. And then all of a sudden power meters became something that was available to the general public and, and got to the point that we could actually, uh, everybody could afford a power meter outside of the cycling side. Then you started getting the kind of the quasi power meters for running shoes and those type of devices from that. Uh, on the other side is. What do we do during the winter? And during the winter, we used to sit here on dumb trainers and we'd sit, and, you know, just look at the wall and pedal. And now we have Wahoo Kickers, and and we can actually translate power from into our rides during the weekend or in the evenings inside the garage and that type of thing. So power meters has really been the big one. Now it's not really kind of a technological change, though it is a software change, and that's the big thing we're we're looking at right now. Is with things like WKO five, and being able to really analyze the data that's coming off of um, your power meter. I will say about three years ago, there was a company called Moxie who came out with a SMO two uh, monitor. So actually, being able to look at blood oxygenation, and that has really been like the last six months to a year. A lot of coaches have been trying to analyze that data, you know, so what are we going to How are we going to use that? So the big thing is power meter. Now we're talking SMO2 and coupling that with software like WKO5, really, really, really being able to focus in on somebody's workout, plan that workout, execute the workout, and truly see how adaptations are occurring. So I would say the big one right now is, is software. My favorite technological device, the Wahoo Kicker paired up with a Zwift. I mean, that's been a a game changer as far as technology with software and hardware, because now we've got people able to go out and uh, actually have an endurance ride or hop in on some of these (laughs) Zwift races, you know, e-bikes. I think that's kind of the future.
1: Yeah, and um, for anyone who's uh, keeping an eye on the sport of cycling with the UCI, just announcing that uh, eSports is, is now going to be a, a recognized avenue, and, and that's just going to open up a, a whole new world of, of competition, I think. It's going to get super interesting uh, for folks. I do have a, a follow-up question for you. So, you know, one of the things that I've seen over the years, um, and certainly it's, it's a problem in the nutrition world, is we get all these data streams coming in, um, both as an athlete and as a coach. You can have all these data streams. You know, you've got performance data stream and medical data stream, And wattage data stream, and it's very easy to become paralyzed by having to analyze all that information, right? So we call it, you know, paralysis of analysis. So, what is some advice you have to help athletes avoid always being, you know, spending more time looking and analyzing their data than actually producing it? And sounds crazy, you know, that that's possible, but but I see it a lot. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. You know, when when a lastly just you know, is, is headed in the wrong direction and forgets that, that actually they need to spend more time doing and less time studying. What are your thoughts on that?
2: This is going to sound odd, but it's get a coach (laughs) because that's, that's really what the coach ought to be doing. It's, it's not that I'm this brilliant guy, smarter than my athletes. It's just that I have more time to dedicate to becoming more efficient at analyzing the data. And so that allows the athlete to go out and execute and the coach to do the analysis. However, not everybody can hire a coach or wants to hire a coach. So. With me, the kind of my guidance would be to look at what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to achieve just simply fitness, uh, then there's one or two metrics that you can focus in on, and and that's the direction you're going to go. And using training peaks terms, your your chronic training load, you can focus in on that. Uh, The second thing is... There are all kinds of books on a daily basis that come out, and you can pick and choose the chapters. Uh, you don't have to read the entire thing, but there's a lot of good opportunities there to sort through this immense amount of data that's there. And the third one is, like I kind of mentioned on the first, is if you're wanting to raise criteriums, you know, understand what really is the specificity for criteriums don't get bent out of shape thinking about what's my FTP when really what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to cover breaks, stay with the field and be able to sprint at the end. Yeah, FTP is a great way of measuring and and getting a baseline. But really, you know, what's your one minute power? What's your five second power? What's your cadence when it comes to your sprint at the end? If you're wanting to do gram fondos, that's a different one. If you're wanting to do time trials, then focus just on that FTP. And that way you can kind of bucket the type of data that you really need to be looking at and then all the other stuff just becomes nice to know it's interesting but irrelevant and so focus in on the things that really are towards your sport and then you're not going to get overloaded with all the other data
1: yeah so you and i have known each other for a long time and i'll tell you you know just just one of the things that I've really liked about you as a coach is is a personal connection with your athletes. And for anyone who has, you know, lived or, or worked with you in the DC area, is local to where you live, they've had an opportunity to see the training setup that you've built in your own house uh, that includes a lot of the technology that you talked about, the power measuring devices, you know, TV screens, it's, it's really a beautiful setup that you've got. So my question to you is this, we're, we're heading into the winter for a lot of folks that'll be listening to this, um, I suspect and a good portion of their training may actually be done inside. They may be doing it already. And there are some differences between training indoors and training outdoors, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about some advice to an athlete who's now staring down the beginnings of a of a cold dark winter and how can they be successful training indoors? What are some tips you you have for an athlete looking at doing, you know, more half or more of their training time now on a trainer in the basement? What you got for them?
2: Nice. Uh, The first thing I would say is, is let's make the assumption that the athlete is really thinking about toeing a line or doing some type of event during 2020. And the reason why I say that is because 2020 starts next week, the 1st of October. And one of the things we want to do is we want to build a big base for the athletes so that they can start looking at specificity. Some people talk about their 2020 season starting in January. It doesn't. It starts now. So for October, November, December, I know this isn't quite what you're asking, but in October, November, December, that's when the weather's beautiful and you're going outside and you're getting in your long rides. You don't have to think about, oh, well, Saturday I need to do intervals. It's more like I just need to get my my fitness as high as I get my fitness between now and, and Thanksgiving. Then we're moving indoors. And whether you're using a smart trainer or a dumb trainer, of course, I recommend a smart trainer. You can use Zwift. You can use Perf Pro. Perf Pro is uh, one of our favorites. Sufferfest actually has some decent, uh, uh, they have some really nice products. But think about what am I going to be doing in 2020 and what are the things that I can really build on using a trainer during the winter? No, you're not going, unless you have a watt bike, you're not going to really be able to, to build your five second power in your BTC, as we call it, our bike torture chamber. However, you can build your, your threshold. You can build some endurance. I'm not a big fan of telling somebody they've got to get on a trainer for five hours, unless they're like training for a early race in January in Florida. That's a hundred miles. Well, then they, they will have to go ahead and do that. <laughs> However, outside of that, you can, just kind of lay out your calendar, you know, Monday, traditionally a day off, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can do some, some higher aerobic stuff on Tuesday, more like your anaerobic capacity, zone five for others. Then on Thursday, you can work on some of your thresholds. We're talking three by 10 minutes at threshold. And then Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday, you hop on Zwift and you, you do the 50 mile figure eight loop on Saturday. And it's actually pretty close to being outside. It's not great, but it's it's pretty close. You're going to get that aerobic fitness on the trainer.
1: So speaking of sort of winter, in the old days, in the winter time, used to be the time that, you know, we tell folks get into the gym and work out. The pendulum has swung quite a bit we know so much more about the role that strength training can play in an athlete's training program. And I'd like to tell, I mean, you've really become an expert in this area. I mean, I don't know a better coach that, you know, really has been able to successfully take strength training incorporated into an athlete's plan and actually have a complement both the primary sport and the strength training program. Usually, you know, folks, if they're trying to weave in strength training, they're not thinking of the holistic approach and they end up compromising one for the sake of the other. So I'd love to kind of get your opinion on the role that strength training can play in an athlete's plan, both from an overall performance perspective, also as an injury prevention perspective. And then if you can just give a little bit of of your approach to it, to strength training, that is, and and how some uh, advice you might have for an athlete thinking about pumping some iron this winter.
2: Yes. So if you remember back when we first started all this, you had the Eddie Merck's uh, All You Need is 10,000 More Miles. Then we had the take and lock out your your big chain ring to where you can only stay in your small chain ring during the winter months. And then every non-pro that I've talked to has always said, oh, I just have to be strong enough to hold my pro contract. (laughs) I jokingly say, and lift your bike on top of your own car because you don't have somebody doing that. So where I kind of take the strength training side of the house is if you think about power in general, power is the amount of torque you place on the pedals and then how many times you turn those pedals over. So during the winter months, uh, we can work on two things very easily. Number one is we can work on the maximal strength that you have with your legs. And then the second thing we can work on is your body composition. On the maximal strength, what I typically recommend is October timeframe, we're just getting used to getting back into the gym. So that's just some anatomical adaptation type of thing, getting used to lifting weights, lifting them correctly. Then I'll normally go through a phase of maximal strength. And I normally think about it in the, as far as the lower body goes. We're, we're not doing maximal strength on the upper body. We're just doing maintenance on the upper body, but on the lower body, we do maximal strength. And so we will go through a phase of that. phase being about four weeks. And then what we want to do is we want to now convert that strength that you've gained in your lower body to actual power. So then we'll go through a phase of, of how do you increase or how do you take that strength and actually add time to it and make it into power? And so we'll do a phase of that. And then we might repeat that. And then uh, right around March, you're coming out or at the end of February, Now you've, you've maximized the amount of torque you can place on the pedals. You've now worked on turning those pedals over quickly and you've used your on the bike training in order to get your fitness. So now you're ready to start towing the line in in the March timeframe. The biggest thing that I have a hard time convincing athletes is that when you're in that leg, lower body, maximal strength phase is the priority for the week is the gym. And that becomes something that's, that's really, really kind of difficult for cyclists who've always had this idea that going to the gym is bad. One of the funniest things I normally hear is like, oh, I just don't want to get too big. If you can go to the gym and in a matter of two or three months gain muscle mass in terms of lots of pounds – then you're probably in the wrong sport. You ought to be in powerlifting, because I I know people who are in powerlifting who have been working for a decade trying to gain pounds of muscle. You know, so being able to do it just in a couple of months just uh, it's not physiologically correct. And then the second half of that is the body composition. You know, in cycling we talk a lot about watts per kilogram. And you as a nutritionist, I mean, I'm sure you get inundated to this on a daily basis. I'm just trying to lose weight. What I normally try to explain to uh, my athletes is like, I'm not concerned about you losing weight. I'm more concerned about you converting the amount of fat that you have in your body to muscle. You know, which would you rather have, you as a nutritionist, which would you rather have a, an athlete who's 170 pounds and 34% body fat or 180 pounds who's 17% body fat, you know? And the only way that you can convert fat to muscle is strength training. You can't just lose weight and gain muscle without going to the gym.
1: You know, hearing you talk about all that really uh, just made me want to go work on the gym right now. I think we're uh we're getting to the end here of this conversation i really wanted to thank you both for the conversation today and also um, for the intellectually stimulating ideas about how to incorporate strength training uh more wisely into a training program boy you've helped so many athletes including myself on that with that chuck thanks so much it's been a it's been a joy talking with you and uh looking forward to uh listening to these uh whatsapp uh, podcasts for a long time to come i greatly
2: appreciate you calling me in this morning jim awesome awesome thanks a lot talk to you later bye you have the
0: endurance. You have the perseverance and motivation. And now you have a coach. For more information from today's podcast, check the episode notes. If you have any questions regarding this episode, drop them in the comments section or send them on Twitter to at What's Up Podcast or email Coach Chuck at Chuck at KyleCoaching.com. This is the What's Up Podcast. Until next time.